So welcome to the show. I'm David Speed. I'm Adam Brazier. And this is Creative Rebels. Uh, it's a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. We started our first company, Graffiti Life, in a small garage. Yeah, it wasn't easy. But we built the company up to the stage where now we're regularly working with brands like Disney and Nike. And we've been lucky enough to make art all over the world. On this podcast, we interview successful creators. Their advice will enable you to take action and turn your passion into a career. There's literally been no better time in history to make a career from being creative. So many people are going to tell you that you can't do it, but we're here to tell you that you definitely can. Right, let's do a podcast. Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. I'm excited. Why are you excited? Because it's the, not only the end of the year, but the end of the decade and Fuck, i've not even thought about that yeah yeah yes we're going into 2020 so um I, yeah just a bit real kind of time for reflection and i'm just thinking back on every like the last 10 years have been completely foundational for us and we started our first business in 2010 yeah. and that's been that's been our last decade has been that business yeah fuck me a lot has happened over the last 10 years when you think back to where we were sat in a garage 10 years ago Yes, freezing cold, beans and noodles. I suppose just a, a vision and an idea, but really no kind of blueprint, no path of this is how you do it. No one really helping us, guiding us on the way, just our own intu- intuition and blind faith, even though everyone was telling us that we were bloody nuts. Yeah, it's funny like how looking back, like how different things are now. Like It's funny to think that this week's guest, we actually met probably about seven years ago. Yeah, Georgia was the presenter of SBTV for quite quite a while, quite a few years. And for us at that point, like SBTV was really gaining momentum. And when we when they got in contact with us, they wanted to do a little video around graffiti. We were like, yes, yeah, super, super hyped to be involved yeah. with, with that. Um, and it was just at that stage where we were partnering with a lot of other young upcoming entities because them utilizing our audience, us utilizing their audience. It was kind of, it was just a great way to grow. And we kind of recognized that early on. So I suppose it's that case of when you are early on in your journey, just saying yes to everything. I mean, we were definitely in the yes phase. And yeah, so we did a little video with Georgia and uh, and then I've kind of kept an eye on her career since then, been been seeing like different things she's been doing here and there. And it's been crazy how, like her, how her career's developed from her following this path, like always media related, but now recently kind of going this really tech route. It's funny how much you grow, isn't it? Because it's like, if you look at us then, I think that's one of the first times we'd actually been filmed for anything. And it was like so nerve wracking to be in front of camera, having to talk to it and just think like, who the fuck's going to watch this? Who's going to judge me basically. And now here we are right now talking straight to camera, <laughs> which just seems crazy. Like, but I think it's- I mean, that seemed crazy even a year ago. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's completely true. But I think it's just like putting yourself outside of your comfort zone is so important for growth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Everything great that's happened to us has been when we have stepped out of our comfort zone and we've put ourselves into um, situations where we weren't perhaps confident, but we knew that we would grow once we were in that situation. Growth and comfort, we say it a lot in our talks, um, they can't coexist. And I think you, you can't be really, really comfortable and be growing at the same time. I think if you are in a stage where you feel really, really comfortable, that probably means you're not growing as much as you can. You might be growing a little bit, but you're not reaching your potential. And I I think the thing is most people know as well, if you ask them like, what's the thing that you're scared of doing? 
like that would take you out of your comfort zone. Most people know what that thing is and kind of also have an idea that it is the right thing to do. Because if you'd asked me a year ago, it would have been this. It would have been talking to camera. Yeah, it's funny. People do know. And I know a lot of people that we speak to at events and talks that we do, they tell us what their problems are, but they already know the answers. They already know what they have to do. They just want permission or someone to give them that little push in the right direction to kind of push them out of their comfort zone into this kind of unknown world of scariness, I suppose. Yeah, so we are giving you permission right now, if you're listening and you're scared about something, just give it a bloody go. See what happens, see where it takes you. What are you scared of now then? What for 2020 is your comfort zone that you're in that you want to get out of? Good question. I feel like I feel like most of my fears were conquered this year in the fact of getting my voice out there, getting my face on there, being filmed and recorded. I think that was always something that I've always struggled with because I've always been kind of quite an introvert, very kind of shy on camera, shy... When I, I was scared, I suppose, of thinking about what other people would think of me. If they heard my voice, would they think it was annoying? Would they think it was stupid? Like all those things that you build up in your head, it's, it's those fears. I think if you spoke to me a year ago, that would definitely be what the issue was. But I think the confidence that I've grown this year from having this show has been so huge for me. And I kind of would recommend that anyone go out of their comfort zone and do it because I'm so much happier now and less scared of things now than I was this time a year ago. Yeah, I would agree. I'm, I'm the same. My comfort zone. So next year I'm going to be focusing on going, getting onto those stages where we're talking to like 2000, 3000 people. I want to, I want to start like, I, I mean, maybe we won't get there next year, but at least starting to make those first steps of, of building up to like bigger rooms. Definitely want to do that. Cause it is something that does scare me. Cause I know if we have a, a room of a hundred people that we can absolutely smash it. But that kind of, the the bigger areas of like when you actually come out on like stage stage yeah, that, yeah that's okay. that's that would definitely be out of comfort zone like for coming me. onto a stage of a round of applause that kind yeah, of like yeah. oh shit yeah madness yeah <laughs> but that would that would scare me um so yeah i want to try and get into that um and i think the other thing would be i guess reaching out to to some like outlandish guests like trying to land some really really crazy people for the show um, so having the confidence to write off the email and be like, yeah, we've got a year behind us now of amazing guests that we've interviewed and, um, yeah, kind of spreading that and reaching that. So those would be my, my 2020, uh, comfort zone leapers that I'm going to go for. I suppose one thing that I would do to get outside my comfort zone would be to do a talk on my own because we always do them together and yeah. it's not one I generally do on my own. And it's the kind of thing that I know I kind of feel intimidated and scared about, although I know I probably could do it. But yeah. it's just that fear of because I've not done it and grown the confidence yet. Yeah, I guess it's good when both of us are on stage because we've got each other's back. And it's like if either of us are like, ah, blah, 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 the other one just jumps in yeah. straight away because we you can see it and, and you're just like, I'll rescue you. Don't worry. And it's fine. Yes, yeah, so it's nice having someone there to support. But I think, yeah, being able to have the confidence that I could do it on my own if you weren't available. Because that, that happened be. to me this year, didn't yeah. it? So uh, I went to uh, we had a talk in Glasgow. Um, and you pulled your back and could not make it. Yeah. So I was there on my own and I had to do both parts of the talk and that was, yeah, scary. Yeah, we chat about comfort zones uh, in this episode with uh, with Georgia. He's very, very confident in front of camera because she's been doing it for a long time. This week's guest is Georgia Lewis-Anderson. Georgia is a broadcaster, a journalist, a tech consultant, and she also designs the personalities of virtual assistants. She designed the uh, personality of Microsoft's Cortana. Georgia began her career for SBTV, as we mentioned, where she was interviewing celebrities like us, um, as well as P. Diddy, Justin Bieber, and Kelly Rowland. 
kind of a little bit of a league above us. <laughs> but, um, and she's had an extensive media career, um, but recently her career has really gone into the world of tech. Um, she reports on issues that are actually affecting our real world lives. This episode, we talk about getting out of your comfort zone, artificial intelligence, and struggling with social media. I've always had a weird relationship with social media. When I was at SB, loads of people were like, you should start a YouTube channel, die down. It's like, I don't know, I don't want to be sitting in my room talking about how much makeup to put on for like a no makeup look. Georgia. Hi. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's very exciting. Come in. We've met before. Yeah? Yeah. yeah do you remember? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Don't don't paint me as that guy right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I know we've just been talking for about 20 minutes and then I dropped it dropped it on you. Yeah, thanks for that, mate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously. Um, so do you remember in a warehouse? seven or eight years ago was the it like first, five in the morning or something? it was pretty no. early um the first time you ever used a spray can oh yeah oh yeah that was us that, that was, was us wow cool yeah, well, we taught you how was to that? paint graffiti for sbtv oh yeah and what did we paint i think you just did an sbtv logo oh yeah i think i think it was more you than me if i remember right yeah. <laughs> it was helping it was yeah. guiding Wow, such an interesting career you guys have had since then. That was like, yeah, eight years ago. Yeah. 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 And so our graffiti company is now quite a big thing. Yeah. Everyone here is all part of the graffiti company. Cool. So you studied journalism. And I was looking at your career Mm -hmm. as a whole of kind of this winding like, oh, you're over here, now you're over here, in things that seemed like they weren't linked. But yet, and you studied journalism, like you're still a journalist, I would say, right? I hope so. I think that um, my career's definitely been of the squiggly vibe, I guess. Um, and you don't kind of know... In some ways... I know you guys always talk about planting flags. Yeah. And it's really important they do that and have a plan and have goalposts. But also when something comes up, you kind of have to go with it. So it's a, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, and something that, that piques your interest, which is obviously how your whole new career is like yeah to be honest I just needed a job like I'd been doing loads of presenting I'd done some graffiti with you guys I'd like made some documentaries for one extra radio one like I'd done a lot of stuff but I'm glad it was a career highlight obviously (laughs) yeah yeah, top of the CV um yeah and I think that I just found it hard like when I I didn't realize I was freelance when I was freelance and then when SBTV sort of not finished but when our time there was done I wasn't even aware of what being freelance was. Um, So then I applied for this job, just a copywriting job from home, and it was like pop culture writer. And I did loads of writing auditions, if you will, whatever, Mm. tests. Um, And it was really ambiguous and, like, mysterious. And then it turned out to be at Microsoft, and I could do it from home. Um, I always, like, read New Scientist as well as, like, Vogue and stuff. Um, So I was really kind of into it already. And then I just, like, fell in love with, that human-machine relationships, how we interact with machines, what we want from machines, why so many people anthropomorphise them and want to be mates with, like, you know, stuff that isn't real. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then it kind of went from there. And then while I was at Microsoft, I got the job on Beats. So it was... For a while, like almost my dirty little secret, like I'd be on air like before Drake or Elton John or something, and I'd always have a two-hour break, and I'd go across the road and like do a bit of coding for Microsoft, like in the cafe, and then come back and like 
talk over the first 10 seconds of Taylor Swift. So that, in a way, felt like a... That was a really paradoxical time because I was like, I'm definitely not going to say no to this job, like, you know, on beats. Um, and I love music, but also I really like um, robots. But then, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it was just a funny one. And then... Google approached me because there wasn't uh, many people who had experience designing personalities of machines. Um, and th- at that point, I gave up freelance life and I just went full-time for two years yeah. there. But now, now... Now you've dived back in. So yeah. we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start at the beginning. Um, you graduate uni and then you kind of stumble across SPTV sort of by accident. Yeah, although it wasn't by accident. And now, you know, like how Lil said on her episode about like making your own luck... I was actually at uni at the time. Um, I had a That's show. That's Lily Mercer. Lily Mercer on the past episode. Definitely have a listen if you haven't already. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was. Uh, I had a show on Roundhouse Radio at the Roundhouse. I lived in Camden. They used to do classes for like two quid. Um, so I was at uni. I stayed in, in London to go to uni because I knew like the opportunities were here. Um, after uni, I used to do radio production at the Roundhouse. And then there I met someone that knew J- Jamal. And I sent him my show roll that I'd made on Windows Movie Maker. Um, just like filming myself in the studio and then that was like one of a hundred emails that I sent that just happened to be something yeah. and then he came to meet me and then yeah my first interview was Kelly Rowland after like uh it's like seminar or something at uni so yeah I listened to a podcast with Jamal the other day and uh, you came up in conversation and he said that he chose you because no one expected him to choose you oh really yeah oh that's nice yeah, yeah, I, I guess I was an odd choice uh, looking back, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. He said, yeah, she was like kind of posh and we were doing grime and everyone expected us to just like have someone who was like deeply entrenched in that scene mm-hmm. and not someone like you. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, I was a fan. Um, I think he, but he made the right choice, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And also, I suppose from his point of view, like maybe he thought he wanted to be more mainstream and like that's like what I wanted to do. Um, it's funny, actually, I was telling my mate the other day about, you know, at the time, SB wasn't like as uh, much of a thing as it is now, obviously. And I remember one of the first interviews we did was Flowrider. Um, it was a big one. And he... <laughs> We went to heaven to interview him and the guy on the door wouldn't let Jamal in. So I had to go in and get the PR to come out and stuff. So I think maybe, you know, obviously things have changed a lot. Like my dissertation was about gay rappers. That was the one actual documentary. And since then, like, you, you know, the how gay people are perceived in music has completely shifted. And that's only like eight years, basically. Mm. But um, I think at the time, I suppose, yeah, maybe he was thinking it might position him as more mainstream because it's why of, why wouldn't they let him in was he wearing a hat or yeah because he was in was a tracksuit just like a young profiling. guy yeah. like a young guy in a tracksuit basically and then i was like oh la, 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 like you know like you know some bright colors and like i don't know a bit more dress up i suppose <laughs> yeah yeah it's a bit shit though really isn't it yeah it's really it's really shit it's and like, it's like seems unbelievable now like mm. now he is who he is and yeah. stuff um but i don't know if it's reminiscent of kind of like what you're saying um, yeah, he never told me that he uh, picked me because no one expected him to. But uh, yeah, I guess it makes sense. Okay, I'll um, mm. give you a link to the podcast after. So yeah, okay. Mm. <laughs> um, that must have been a mad time working because this is a company essentially being run by under under twenty five year olds. We were all under twenty five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that sounds ex- like a horrible mess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was exciting. It was. Yeah, it was really exciting and fun and we were all just super gassed constantly. But also, it wasn't perfect. 
like we achieved a lot of great things but I think you know outwardly I mean it looked like one thing and inwardly it was something else so I'm really lucky that I had those opportunities I know you guys talked on another podcast about you know if you work for smaller companies you get to do more Mm -hmm. Um, and it really was that like I was making the press pack like organizing the shoots and when I ended up meeting my friends who were like presenters on T4 and Radio 1 and they all had makeup artists and stylists and like you know, we weren't getting paid. I'd go and buy clothes from H&M, wear them, take them back. Like, it was it was a hustle, so it was really exciting, but it was also, like, we didn't know how to monetize this new world, and it was, like, it was tough. And I was at uni as well, so I was, like, on my student loan, so I probably wouldn't have been able to do it if it wasn't for that. How much time were you spending on it, like, when you are at uni? Um, I got a 2 one by one mark because I was hardly ever in, so a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you were self-aware enough to be, like okay, this student loan is funding this thing that I think is more important. Because it's the same story for me. I was working in a tattoo studio and I realised that I was learning more there and I kind of doubled down and spent much more time in the tattoo studio than I did in my lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the thing, isn't it? And they were really big on work experience and it was kind of the ultimate work experience. Yeah. Um, so it obviously was worth it, but it was... I, d- I can't remember feeling stressed, but in hindsight, it sounds like it was quite stressful. It's just like a busy time. Yeah. yeah. When when money came in, was it like divided equally, or what was? How did that work? I think um, I think that essentially we were all just figuring it out, really. And I think that I was fortunate in that I was, you know, obviously Jamal was the face, but I was someone that people saw a lot. Yeah. So I got a lot of like you know, the whatever the credit was. I got the free trainers that I could, you know, wear um, or sell to pay my rent. Like, I I got a lot more than some other people who were making the jingles, like, doing the cool, like, editing style, like, all the behind-the-scenes stuff that it really takes to make that work. Like, Jamal's an, you know, amazing guy, but no man is an island. Yeah. So. What was your biggest takeaway from there? I think that, actually. I think that, um, I think the team, like, how important the team is, oh. like, what you can really achieve when you're like working as a unit so were you scrambling around sort of trying to get other like obviously you're selling trainers that you get given for free you're that's really naughty maybe I should do that's not how's that naughty that's not naughty at all yeah it's like that's that's surviving yeah Yeah, I guess so I mean these these brands who have so much money that they could actually pay you to be there and they just end up giving you product it's like well I can't pay my rent with trainers, so but I can if I sell them. So when you're 23, you're like, I'm meeting a celebrity. Like, I'd love some free shoes. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's sick. Yeah, so. it goes away quickly though, doesn't it? Oh yeah. After a while, you're just yeah. like, okay, we've had the freebies now. Now it's time to for you to actually treat us with a bit more respect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. I think. Um, yeah, it was. It was all just such a. It was a baptism of fire, and it was just so many lessons. So. Is it true you did stand up at one point? Yeah, I did. Oh my god, how do you know that? I did my research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, my uh, my grandma passed away, and I didn't get that much money. But at the time, it was like fifteen hundred pounds or something. And I did a stand up course just because I really wanted to do presenting, and I thought it'd be, you know, if you can do stand up, you can yeah. do it. Like, yeah, and yeah, it was it was good. I was a uh, I was a presenter on Westside FM, so I just talked about like how I was like sticking out like a sore thumb, basically. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you do many shows? Stand-up shows. No, I ended up living with a girl called Louisa Omiland. You know her, and she did what would Beyonce do? She's quite well known. Oh now. yeah, yeah. We painted something. Uh, we painted for 
like a show poster for her, okay, like yeah, the yeah. backdrop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I met her on the course. She's quite a lot older than me. Like at the time, it seemed more than probably now. But um, yeah, I ended up living with her and I just, she really went for it. And I thought, wow, you really have to want this, man. Like, you know, yeah. you go to the rooms, the empty rooms. Mm. I don't know. It's, I think she's amazing. But I think it really, when you're a comedian, you're constantly looking for, for validation from people. And if you say to people, oh, I'm a comedian, and people are like, oh, tell us a joke then, mate. Oh, and you're God. like, oh, God, I just want to read my book on my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you learn anything from the course that kind of, did it help your presenting? Oh, definitely. Confidence. Right. Yeah. Um, I think everyone should do it. I, I would recommend you guys doing it. Yeah, I've heard yeah. that from someone else in the past mm. saying, like, if you want to do anything, like public speaking or anything, do stand-up comedy because it's the hardest thing to do mm-hmm. in that space. So by I doing... Think a YouTube series of you and me going and doing <laughs> stand-up, a stand-up course would be gold content. Yeah. Hilarious, I think. Yeah. No, yeah, but like there's always something funny and it was such a mixed bag. There was like a guy there who I think who got chucked out of school and his parents didn't know what to do with him. There was a woman who'd just written a book and it just got published you wanted to be more confident. And there was like some 70-year-old American dude that like had ambitions to host the Oscars and it was just like jokes. Well, got, there's a TV show in that. Yeah. Just this random assortment of people it come was, together. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah, and even now like I just did a script writing course like just for fun and I'm doing some improv just because it's jokes like to I don't know put yourself in a like a scary position I guess I suppose you learn a lot from it as well don't you yeah and I think I actually did a panel on confidence the other day and I think I feel the most confident when I'm a little bit prepared say you've written your set or whatever but also you're under quite a lot of pressure it's like live radio or live telly or you know when it could go wrong it's really exciting at the same time I think Mm. what would you say to someone who isn't confident in that scenario Um, I think you just have to practice I suppose yeah. yeah yeah what would you say I think like yeah it's that it's the fear of doing it the first time mm. and as soon as you've done it once you realize it's not as bad as you thought it would be then the next time it gets a little bit easier and the mm. more you do it it's like the rep- repetition makes it easy and that's where the confidence comes from yeah and I think nothing worth having comes easy like you know if you're in your comfort zone all the time you wouldn't progress so yeah. I think if you feel like you really don't want to do it you probably should do it like obviously one minute before I went on stage to do some stand up like lol who do you think you are like I did not want to be there but then you're like I can't believe I just did that like what you guys were saying before we started recording how you pulled off this podcast in New York and you're like I cannot believe I'm doing this like yeah. it sounds quite terrifying the concept really doesn't it I always when talking about confidence I always bring up the stand-up comedian as as it's the prime example of just grinding through like even when no one's laughing and because you know I know that you're not going to laugh at this yet because I know it's not there yet but I have Mm -hmm. to practice it because the laughs will only come the more I do this and it's just that beautiful horrible grind of just keeping going and just like night after night standing up there and bombing and being like yes good I bombed and then going back and being like how can I improve and I did get a laugh there so let's keep that bit in but let's tweak yeah. this bit so and it's such a metaphor for for everything is just that that like falling down and getting back up again and I think it's one of those things where from the outside you'll see like famous comedians and think well, they're amazing. They can just mm-hmm. go and do it. But then, it's like, what I didn't realise is the fact they did full tours beforehand, for like warm-up ones. Like, um, my mum went to see Sean Locke, and he had like a just like a, a board with all of his kind of sections written up, and he would make a joke, and then he was like, "Cool, Take cross it off," yeah. and then mm-hmm. and then just carry on, which is quite and, funny in itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I don't know if everyone does that, or if he made a joke out of yeah. that kind of thing, but. Um, 
yeah, it's just really interesting to work out. They've fully rehearsed it, practiced, worked out what works well and what mm. doesn't. And just realizing that not everyone out there is this perfect thing. Everyone goes through the hardships. Everyone kind of progresses and gets mm. better all the time. Yeah. And no one's just like a funny, like, you know, funny with their mates. Like, cool, you're a joker when you're like out with your pals. But like, if you want to be a comedian, you have grinded yeah. and like perfected it and been really like systematic, I suppose. But it's, it's the final show is is the that's what everyone sees and that that I would compare to your Instagram profile of that's the that's the finished work and then no one sees so for you like you've just brought out your um, documentary on Radio Four mm-hmm. and we see that finished product but mm-hmm. we don't see you in Ibiza under a sheet on the bed recording that oh yeah <laughs> yeah no so I just went away with my mates. Um, it was actually in we went to Malta and we were because it takes a long time to make. Um, a Radio 4 documentary. I didn't even realise I've made documentaries for Netshow and for anyone, but um, it, it was like, it got commissioned a year ago, a year before it came out. And, you know, you might do one interview one day. I did loads of interviews that didn't make it into it. And then last minute, we script, we, we decide which bits of audio we want and we script the, um, the voiceover bits around it. And I was on holiday a week before, so I had to test out if it worked and if it sounded right and if it fitted to time. So I brought my recorder with me and like while my friends were around the pool, um, like chilling and drinking I literally got under the sheet in our room um, and yeah just recorded bits and it's just funny isn't it a lot of people do podcast intros like under duvets and stuff to, yeah. Yeah, yeah just to eliminate the sound yeah yeah. how did the documentary um, come about did they contact you specifically um, yeah so I went on Women's Hour to talk about uh, roles for women in tech who don't have a t- traditional engineering background and I think that's how the producers found me and then I actually pitched quite a few things in that um, documentary round because they have like rounds open I think like twice a year I pitched like three things and they were like mm, we don't really like those but how about this so it's sort of a mix so you pitched it to them rather than them coming to you and I saying I pitched some other stuff I pitched like three other ideas um, and they said we like you but we're not sure about that but we've got this idea do you want to do this oh cool yeah um, and then it's funny though because you can't really predict how a documentary goes like you can pitch it but you don't know how all the interviews yeah. you know you don't know how your chats are going to go yeah. um, so actually it totally became something else um, and I you know I could like loads of people in the doc were people that I've met and work anyway and it's like oh why don't we do this or you meet someone and they say something about one thing and it inspires you to talk to someone else so yeah it's, so it's probably at least a better documentary because it's like if you go out with already knowing the answer then it's a bit like what's really the point whereas if someone if you learn stuff along the way that sends you off in a different direction yeah. it becomes really interesting like look at that like Icarus documentary that started off as looking at a guy and then fight, like trying to win a cycle race and yeah. then unco- uncovering like the Russian mafia basically yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah I haven't seen that oh it's amazing it's incredible it's on, oh it's on I haven't Netflix. read the book I haven't yeah. seen the thing it's on Netflix okay yeah, yeah it's yeah. really good yeah yeah and uh, like Obviously, that's half an hour on Radio 4, but I think most documentaries are like 15 or 20 hours of the producer's time. I don't know, basically, but my producer needed a week longer because it was so difficult to make because normally you can kind of put together the interviews and like string along the story, but because we were trying to make a robot presenter and we had no idea how it would go and we kind of didn't consider loads of ethical things as well and it brought up so many more conversations that we could have time to explore. Um... Yeah, so it took like two weeks to make a half an hour documentary. That's quite wild, isn't it? It's called Make Me a Program, and yeah. your and your goal is to make, create a presenter that could answer uh, mm-hmm. questions in a call in. Yeah, but like a love theme call in. Um, I don't know if you listen to the Receipts podcast. 
I am aware of their, yeah. their work. Um, yeah. So I love that. And I love like online, like agony aunts, um, uh, like the surgery, which I actually hosted. Um, you know, when people call up with their problems, you know, like Fraser Crane or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was like my ideal radio show to listen to. So that's what we wanted to make. And also it's funny because obviously I work in an industry that's trying to put like a human touch into robots. And the one thing that robots can't do is like feel love or empathy. Um, so, yeah. Yet. Yet. How, how did yeah. That, how did that go? Um, well, have you listened to it? You're going to have to have a listen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought that... So there's obviously the Lyrebird software mm-hmm. that you were using to simulate your voice. Mm-hmm. And I think how many... You spoke like 30 sentences into it or something like that, right? Yeah, I didn't do that much. Whereas the Trump and the Joe Rogan examples that that are um, basically fake mm-hmm. of, of those... Fakes of those two um, sounded just like them, whereas yours sounded really clunky. Mine sounded really drunk, but I was, I, I was, <laughs> I was talking to my dad about that just yesterday and he was like oh if you did it longer and I was like yeah I would have had to do it for like two weeks to get it sounded sounding yeah. proper like Joe Rogan used every single podcast he's ever done yeah and that, that was like a hell of a lot of hours like 200 hours or something so yeah yeah so I guess if we were to do it we'd have you'd have a lot actually we've got like a bank of yeah although would you be able to separate your voices you might end up with like one mixed voice of you both we've got all the individual audio tracks so we probably could do it oh yeah oh you should definitely try it for jokes. Yeah. Yeah. And we can when, have when, a fake podcast. Yeah. When, when one of us is away, we can just get the other one to fill yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Get Adam Bot 3000 yeah. to step yeah. in. That'd be amazing. Yeah. It's just funny because it's like prosody, you can't change. So I've worked, you know, designing voices that are trying to sound human, but they're actually machines. And it really comes down to prosody. Like you, I didn't. What's the word? Prosody. So, you know, so. like um, like the way you say something. So, ob- you know from looking in someone eye- someone's eyes and listening to the way they say something, what they mean by that, but it could just be one word, like, sorry. Or like, sorry. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Same okay, thing, yeah. completely sure. different meaning. So that's the hard thing to deliver on when it's like uh, like text-to-speech, like machine stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's where the kind of humour comes from. And that, that basically, if one of you is away and you're going to do the robot host, just be aware that it might not sound that sincere. Yeah. Obviously, this is a field that people are working on all the time. Do you think we will get to the stage where, because there's already, you you played in the documentary, you play the example of the hair salon, mm-hmm. where seamlessly someone books an appointment for, like a virtual assistant books an appointment for their client and the person on the other end clearly has no idea that they're not speaking to mm-hmm. a real human. Is that the Google example? Yeah. Google yeah. Duplex. It's quite yeah. old now. Although it sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's like two years old, but um yeah. So it it I guess it falls down with the empathy. So specifically, is that why you wanted it to be like a, a agony aunt phone in? Because it would be so hard for the empathy to come across. Well, uh well first of all I just loved like I love um love podcasts, people talking about relationships, people talking about their problems, like Esperel and all those things I just mentioned. Um, so it's kind of like uh, self-serving in that way because it would just be fun. Like, can a machine create like your ideal kind of radio show? Um, there was one point when we wanted to put in like loads of music in there as well, but we did, like didn't end up making the cut. Um, but yeah, I think that it's certainly by challenging it to talk articulately on something as human as love and relationships. It obviously is going to only serve to show how much of a human it is not and how much it is a machine so uh yeah it 
it ended up working that way, but it was actually just because I just like listening to people's problems. (laughs) (laughs) You obviously got on their radar because of your your background. And we spoke about a little bit about the Microsoft opportunity coming up. Like covertly, they were interviewing you and you didn't know who you were being interviewed by. Were you you just like sending emails to Mr. X at Mm, X.com? It wasn't a Microsoft email address or anything. It was like a recruiter. And also I was like... I really didn't want to tell anyone about it. I felt embarrassed about it. I was like, oh, like, it's just like a writing job in between stuff kind of thing. Um, So, yeah, it was a LinkedIn job post and I was just a pop culture writer and I was with, like, a recruitment company in Reading. And I was like, oh, that's really weird. (laughs) You wouldn't Um, think Microsoft would be using a recruitment company in Reading, would you? I know. Yeah, not at all. Um, Yeah. And you could do it from home. It was, like, flexible. And then I ended up doing this... um, this job in Europe which was like writing underground city guides and I was doing it at the same time and it's just like it's just funny isn't it when you think about your life I was like in Copenhagen like talking to some like pop stars and then you're like suddenly coding something in someone's car and then you're like yeah it's just a very funny time. So what was the job when it came through for Microsoft? Um, it was to design the British personality of Cortana. Okay. Yeah so it was at the time, it was quite forward-thinking, so it was before the Google Assistant launched, like, yeah, and I think it might have been even pre-Alexa, I'm not sure. Um, I think it was. I so think it was. Was it when Cortana first came out? Yeah, so it's got the same name as the video game, Yeah. but it's nothing to do with the video game, but it's just like a, you know, geeky thing. Easy little thing, yeah. yeah. That's why I liked it when it first came out, because I was like, yeah. I love Halo, and I was like, that's sick. Yeah, yeah, exactly, so they know that you're going to love it. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was kind of like on the Microsoft phones and stuff. Uh, like all It's on my laptop. Stuff like that, yeah. Um, so it was to any kind of questions which were like, how are you? Um, I don't know, anything that happened on telly? Like, uh, are you a feminist? Do you love me? Do you have a boyfriend? What's your favourite food? Stuff like that I would create, like any character stuff. Isn't it weird how we have to ask these questions to these virtual assistants just to see if they will give us an answer? And then huge companies hire whole teams of people to answer them. Like, yeah. it's very much. So do they send you the list of questions? Um, I think it had already launched in America, so we kind of had that, yeah, as a base. Yeah. But also, obviously, people ask different stuff in different locales. Like, when I was at Google, I was on a huge international team, and, like, one thing could be, like, popping off in, like, India, and that would, like, never get any, like, anyone asking that in London, so, yeah. yeah. So you tried to keep it, so you'd you'd use like pop culture references and you'd reference things that were happening in the media and things like that. Yeah, like but memes. British specifically. Memes, uh grime music, uh pop stuff, yeah, um sarcasm, politeness, you know, even though Americans use the same English, it's actually very, very, very yeah. different. Very different. And it's actually two countries divided by one language, actually. And some stuff they'd be like, oh my God, that's so rude. And I'd be like, trust what, me. What do you mean by that? Two countries divided by the same language? I think that um, at times, I don't know if you agree, but like, I think British people can find American Americanisms almost like saccharine, like overly sweet sort of thing. And like at times insincere, you know? Um, whereas also sometimes our way of showing affection can be like taking the piss out of someone yeah. and be like, oh, you fucking dickhead, come here yeah, and give yeah, me a cuddle. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they'd never be like that in the US. Um, so yeah, and sarcasm can come across as rude as well, whereas we think it's quite funny. Um, so it's just those little like nuances. Yeah, I've, I've noticed American podcasts that 
I listen to where whenever they use sarcasm, they feel the need to say, I'm being sarcastic, by the way. Yeah. Like they have to tell you because otherwise you wouldn't have worked out. And it's like so obvious sarcasm. But yeah. I guess. And it's weird because it's like, oh, because the best jokes are the ones that you have to explain. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's the stuff that I didn't even realise that I knew that I knew it, but we all know it having grown up in the UK. Um, you're like, oh, okay, that's what like British people are like, or that's what, yeah, if this robot was going to be British, the, these are the kind of things that it would, I don't know, just how it would like deliver its chat, basically. Such a niche job. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's quite niche. But you say that, you know, it is in like a lot of people's homes on a lot of people's products. Like, yeah. yeah. And is it something that they're continually updating? Yeah, so well, I don't work at Microsoft or Google. I do work at Google now part-time in a different field. So I'm not 100% sure, but I think so, yeah. And are you getting asked, because you're now freelance, are you getting asked to like consult for different AI personalities Yeah. in different places? Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> what sort of stuff are you getting asked to do? Just stuff, you know. But it's funny because it's so... All right, so... top secret. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so... Um, it's very niche, but it's also, you know, these, like, brands are so into, like, NDAs and, like, confidentiality and... Right, right. You know... So le- you legit can't talk about it? Yeah. <laughs> no, well, that makes weird. for a great interview. <laughs> I know, sorry. Um, I, I, think, um, I think everyone's very interested in it. I think lots of people don't know how it works. I think I get asked sometimes... Um, you know another thing I know you guys talk about is when people ask to pick your brains and you're like okay but what exactly do you want to pick can you spell it out now because it might not be what you know it's not just an hour it's not just half an hour it's me coming down there going back Um, so I suppose AI in itself is such a buzzword that lots of people don't really know what it is like I went into like an ad agency and they're like we want to do something with AI and we want you to do it and I was like but what like if you actually think about what artificial intelligence is it's not like one thing you know it can be used in everything from yeah and like well, first of all, the personality, like delivering a personality actually isn't the AI. The AI is recognising you asking for it. And like also it can be used in anything, everything from like the NHS to the military to like, I don't know, or like putting your washing on. So um, I think people are just working it out, you know. My favourite thing is like kids interacting with it. Yeah. It's so sweet. Like mm. the, I, I guess new, what would it be, Gen Gen Z, Gen X. Is it after Gen Z? Yeah, what's after Z? Is it A? Oh, I I learned this the other day. It's um, it's not Xennial, but it sounds like that. Oh I yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's one of those. Yeah, I've, I've, I, it's one of those words that you see written down and then I never yeah, try yeah. and say it's it. Definitely, yeah. It's definitely an ennial, but yeah. I can't remember mm-hmm. what the first bit of it is. Um, but I suppose kids that are growing up with that now, it's just part of their lives. Mm, my, I've got a goddaughter, and she was talking to her remote the other day. Like putting on Netflix, saying Netflix. Yeah. I was like, well, that's so mad. What the hell? Yeah. I remember having like, when everyone used to have MSN back in the day. Mm-hmm. I referenced this earlier as well. Like, this is a MSN day for me. Yeah. Um, but I remember there was like a chat bot that you could like add as a friend and then like talk to it. And it was like really good. It would, you'd have a good conversation with it. But then I remember it just annoying me and I was, was like, try and outwit it. Mm. And um, I remember like getting like really cross with it. And, um, <laughs> I'm typing for anyone who's listening now. Yeah. Um, typey, typey, type. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I remember being like, you're stupid. And then it was like, actually, I think you apostrophe RE are stupid. And I was like, fuck, oh, you've absolutely done yeah. me. <laughs> Jokes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, see, so your like inquisitiveness is like why um, writers get employed to like yeah. write personality. And also the first chatbot was actually this one, Eliza. 
you know about that? That was like yeah. in the eighties, and it was um, a guy developed it, and it really just mimics your speech pat- pattern, so it kind of just repeats. Um, what you say back to it but I think it was like a psychologist that developed it and he left his secretary with it and then she asked him if he could please leave the room so that she could talk to it privately even though it was just like some computer software like before I was born so yeah it's quite mad I've heard you talk before about the importance of um, representation specifically within tech and and like feminism within tech why like why are those things important and why are they under uh, under delivered at the moment mm-hmm. I think when you think about tech, you think it's kind of like a geeky man's world. Like, what do you guys think when you, you know, think yeah, about tech? Yeah, well, I was listening to something this morning, actually, and they were talking about how Silicon Valley is basically white men. And with AI, and like AI is technically like racist in terms of like the things that have been put into it. There were like, it, they could do scans on white people, but if they did scans on black people, they'd come back as gorillas, which is just like awful. And, but that's because the people who are there making it, it's not a diverse enough community. Yeah, and they've done it where um, like face scans will show um, that Chinese people, it will say you've, you've got your eyes closed when they don't. And yeah, yeah it, just because the programmers have not considered anyone other, that looks other than themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, that's because the data set, they're only working with what they have and they're all mm. kind of white guys. Mm. Um, so that's why, I mean, it's different, isn't it? Because AI is tech, but that's why it's so dangerous, particularly in AI. Um, that you have to be so sure about is bias and all of us have biases without us, you know, realising it. Um, We all judge someone as soon as we look at them. Um, So I think particularly for that reason, it's quite worrying. (laughs) Um, It's just a shame that traditionally, again, I don't have an engineering background, but, um, you know, a lot of engineers are guys. It seems to be more of a kind of like a male-focused arena but there's a lot, like, I mean, tech comes into every single area of our lives. Like, I do a show on Foundation FM called Forest Lash, which is about how um, tech affects the lives of millennial women. And I think I quite enjoy reading, like, the tech press, which I know a lot of people think is boring, like, new, everything from new scientists to Wired to whatever. Um, but I feel like it doesn't really spell out how it affects every single corner of our life. It doesn't spell out how it affects, like, your mate's dating life or, like, <laughs> what it means for, I don't know, like, delivering... I had some girl that made her like um, made a robot boyfriend that um, she coded this robot with text from her ex to teach herself about what she wanted from a relationship. And I feel like I, I think it just has like a PR problem, really. Yeah. It doesn't really seem like that cool. It doesn't seem like mm. it doesn't seem like you can wear. I don't know, like wear a nice pink outfit and then also like like robots. I don't know. There seems like the synergy isn't quite there in some ways. Would you yeah. agree? Well, like, I just think, like, being a kid and, mm. like, the boys would be geeky ones on their computers playing whatever games online and the girls wouldn't be doing that. I don't know if, I don't know why that is, whether that's... It's obviously a societal thing. Mm. But um, do you think... Because, like, I'm... I mean, I wanted to play with the girls, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think also, like, I work in tech as a writer, like, designing the personality of a machine and exploring, like, what tech means in layman's terms for our lives and in, like, a joke, like, fun, interesting way. But actually, when you think of tech, like, there's loads of stuff that I don't understand. Like, I did loads of experimental projects when I was working in Google just for fun, and I'd, like, interview people all over the company, and I would not know what they were banging on about. Because really what it comes down to, like, AI is made of data sets which is like maths so it's basically a machine that can like scan loads of data really quickly and then pull something out yeah. and that sounds a bit dry but it's actually amazing 
So I suppose what you're doing with your show on Foundation FM is is you're trying to change that. You're starting to um, because I would imagine like women are going to be the ones listening to a show of how tech affects women. Mm. Um, and so with your show, you can you can open people's eyes to the possibilities. Yeah, I hope so. And like, that was also a bit of a leap for me. Like, I've worked in broadcasting for a long time. Like, I've interviewed a lot of amazing people. Um, I've had highs, I've had lows. But, um, and then I I mean, worked- we're talking like, you've interviewed Justin Bieber. You've yeah. interviewed Kelly Rowland on your first day. Yeah, like you've been Richard Branson. With, yeah, megastars. Yeah. Um, so, and then I ended up working in this corporate world, which was so different. That was the first full-time job I'd ever had. And it does seem mad because the Google offices are insane. And I was like... But I was like, I can't believe I'm going to work every day. Every day, I'd never been like in that mode. Um, so then to come back and kind of think about what I wanted to do and like kind of combine the two, I was like, I'm going to have to like go out on a limb. And I imagine how you guys did, like work for free, which I hadn't done in ages. And I was like, whoa, like do something, not get paid for it, and like experiment and like give it a go. So um, yeah, I've just been like testing out if it works really. Where did the decision go to go back to being freelance? Yeah, especially when you're working for a company like Google, mm. which is a lot of people's dream job. Mm. Um, and it's, I mean, I'd imagine good money. Yeah, obviously it was good. I, I, I suppose money's all relative though, isn't it? Because sometimes, like, you know, that phrase, like, think about when, when you wanted what you have now. Like, um, and if you've got money, you don't think it's that much. And if you don't, you think it's lows. And, like, when I think about my first big money at SB was when I did this Adidas campaign and I was like, oh my God, I'm balling. And now I know that I got completely bumped for that campaign. I was on like every single bus stop, like all over the tube. Like, so, um, yeah, just, it's all relative, isn't it? So, sorry, what was your question? Oh, why did I decide to leave Google? Yeah, and go freelance. Yeah, I think um, I learned so much and I actually, I think I learned how to freelance better from working in that corporate environment. Like now my to-do list, like my boyfriend rinses me, it's all on a spreadsheet, drop down, color-coded emojis. Like it's quite mad and I actually can't recognize myself. Um, so I think I needed that because you don't realize how much you can do until you're part of like a machine like that and uh, working with so many people and like at such a fast pace. And I think it was re- it was one of the most creative jobs you can do and in... Uh, that corporate arena but I just really wanted to like create some stuff um, and go back to like I love talking to people and I like not knowing what's going to happen and I like having a Wednesday off and like working on the weekend so your spreadsheet um, is that just in terms of like organizing your time better yeah oh my god it's, li- it's got like 20 tabs it's for loads of different things is it's really geeky I don't yeah know. let's break it down yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. so yeah so it's got like my to-do list and then it's got like priority like how important it is and then like status like do I need to follow up on that like da-da. and it's literally everything another tab will be like books I have to read another will be like life admin I mean should we have, should I have yeah yeah let's do it I don't know let's do it live <laughs> um yeah so and when do you like assemble this? Do you do this like on a Sunday evening for the week ahead, or is it a thing that's slowly building up over time? I actually update it all the time if I ever remember anything, or if I read something I want to read later, or if I like, I don't know, find someone on Twitter and I think oh, I should email them. I'll just like stick it in there. Um, wow. And what app are you using for this? I'm using Google Sheets. Google Sheets. Um, so it's like, what is it? Priority, date, due, status, and then when it's done, I put it on the bottom. So that's work, and then it's like. I don't know, like, yeah, and then it'll be, like, weekly. Uh, it'll be, like, a list of stuff that I need to follow up with one person. Um, like, life admin. Um, oh, like... What's life admin? Call so, cool mum. Yeah, really boring yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah really Doing boring stuff. Doing the washing. Stuff. 
Yeah. And then just like loads of articles I want to write, books that I want to read, like goals long and short, budget, stuff for my radio show, um, all these side projects that I want to do and everything I have to do for them. So... Yeah. I, th- I think stuff like that's really important, especially um, the one that jumped out at me was articles that you want to write. Mm. Because when I sit down to write something, I'm like, what the fuck shall I write about? Mm. Because inspiration doesn't just hit when I look at a blank page. Mm. I know some people can, and, and they do say, don't they, if you just start writing, then something will come. Mm. But it doesn't for me. No. So so when I do feel a hit of inspiration, I could be at the gym or walking home from work or whatever, I make sure... because. I always think I'm going to remember it and mm. I never fucking do. So I stop what I'm doing at that exact moment and I write it down. Exactly. And On the bus, like, I'm like, oh, even if, you know, kind of listening to someone talk about something, I'm like, oh, I'd love to like read more about that. Or like, I'd love to, yeah, write an article about that. Um, yeah, exactly. So just keeping a note of it as and when, I suppose. And with those, do you put any kind of like time frame attached to it? So if you're going to like do this, give yourself a time to do it, or is it just like an endless list that you'll get to it at some point? Um, I think that I don't know if you guys are but I think I'm just guilty of taking on too much I'm always like I'm gonna do everything today yeah. and then I don't and then I feel frustrated at myself so I think I need to get better at time frames probably so um, moved from a corporate environment surrounded by friends and colleagues and buddies mm-hmm. into the freelance world which is obviously a bit more lonely mm-hmm. how do you deal with kind of working alone you create a robot assistant to talk to yourself. Uh, yeah. yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hang out with your computer more. <laughs> um, I, well, I have like a co-working space and I just try and plan like where I'm going to be. It is quite lonely working at home, or the, but it can also be really productive because actually, you know, that time of just like chatting rubbish at work, that's actually like a waste of time. Yeah, in terms of productivity, although it's lovely and it's really important to hang out with people. Um, but sometimes if I'm working at home all day and then my boyfriend comes home, I'm like what's it like out there? Yeah. Um, so you have to be quite careful. And yeah, so I just try and like get out, um, have coffees with other people who are like in similar positions, um, co-working spaces. Yeah, I think also not being afraid to, I was telling my mate's a doctor and I was telling her that I just like sent some girl on, in, on Instagram a DM about having a coffee and like now we're friends. And she's like, what? Like, so you kind of just have to do that a bit, you know, if you kind of know someone. Um, yeah, I guess so. How important is networking for you? To be honest, I think when I was at SBTV, I really didn't realise how important it was. I was so busy. I was at uni. I was working constantly. All my friends were at uni as well that I'd grown up with. And all I wanted to do was hang out with them and like party and stuff. So Mm. I was getting invited to all these amazing things. And I just thought, oh, but that's work. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to hang out with my friends. So I think um, I'm a bit more aware of it, of the importance now. But at the same time, I'm not going to, like, kill myself to, like, go to the opening of an envelope if I don't fancy it. How, how important is it for you? I think it's really, like, obviously having the podcast and getting guests on. Yeah. And obviously, like, you're here now because Lily said, yeah, oh, yeah. we should get you on. And it's like the network you grow from there mm. is just amazing. And I think in the last few years, I've made a real effort to start meeting people I find interesting or inspiring. Mm. And... Because they say, like, you are the average of the five people you spend most time with. And I think that's really true. And you do start to see yourself become a bit more different and become more of the person that you want to be by mm. hanging around, by surrounding yourself with those kinds of people. Mm. And by giving yourself the space of a podcast, you can invite people that you want to. So it's the same with my forward slash show and kind yeah. of with my radio for doc. So it's like I made something because you want to meet those kinds of people and then you kind of have a re- an actual reason to. Yeah. And you're not just being like, oh, let's have a coffee. You're like, oh, can I interview you? Or actually, my really good friend, when I went when I left Google, I went to Ibiza to Catsit in January um, when I first heard your podcast. Um, and I invited this girl to come on my 
on my radio show called Sapphire from the Coven Girl Gang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And she said, "Oh, I can't because I'm in Ibiza." And I was like, "Oh, I'm in Ibiza right now." We became really good mates. Um, She ended up being really good friends with my friends that lived there. Now she's come back to London, really close pal of mine. We're doing lots of work together, so it can lead to that kind of thing. I think every opportunity that you're going to get is going to come from another person. Yeah. So networking is like the foundation of any business, and it might it might come from people that you like connections that you make online it might come from real life things because like people can change your life without ever meeting you just by buying whatever your product is online but you still need to get their attention in order for them to buy what you're selling Mm -hmm. so i think yeah networking is the most important thing and it it comes in lots of different forms as well even at google um I felt like I wasn't networking because suddenly I was like away from this like creative media sort of life and I was just in this, you know, Google is very, it's very secretive and it's very much its own world and being a Googler is a kind of type of person in a lot of ways. And it's funny because you had Kate Sevilla on and I recognised her, but I never knew who she was, but she works like literally two deaths away from me. Oh, man. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I really should have chatted to her. Like, she's amazing. Um, We'll intro you. She's great. Yeah. She's really great. Yeah. And, um... But even in Google, um, I was experimenting with lots of things. So I had a job, but then I did all these like side projects. If you have time, you can. There's so many amazing people there if you kind of like use that network or just like aren't afraid to approach people. And then it was through that. I left Google. So, but then luckily, because of this is random side project that I just like experimented with, someone remembered me. And when I was looking for like a pay the bill job, as I was literally walking to get a credit card, he emailed me and said, do you want a job two days a week? And I was like, yeah. And it's just because I just wanted to talk to him about what he did one day and he remembered. And I was like, oh, we should try and do this like wacky thing that will will never work. And he was like, yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, I guess it's just about giving it a go. Even yeah. when you think somewhere that doesn't promote you talking to strangers in like a massive building full of people that all think they're really clever. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, you planted a flag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you had any mentors in your career? Yeah, uh, I've had mentors. And then there's at one point when I thought I really want a mentor and I thought, well, how do I get a mentor? Do you get a mentor? How do you get a mentor? Um, yeah, I think I have lots of uh, small ones and big ones. Let me think about that. Someone who I, I heard him talk and I was like, that is my mentor. Mm. Absolutely have to get him to be my mentor. And started... Uh, uh, down that road and basically what I did was um, grabbed him as soon as he came off stage said I really loved what you were talking about Um, he was like oh what do you do fortunately he'd actually taken a photo of one of my street art pieces and put it on Instagram so when I said who I was he was like oh I follow you and and I've posted your Mm -hmm. so there was like kind of a connection there which was lucky Uh, I like kept his like took his details kept and kept it in the bank and then um, it came to when I had I was about to do a pitch for like quite a, a big company and I was really nervous about this pitch and I was like let me see if he would let me run the pitch by him so um, contacted him said like to like I'd like to practice this pitch when I did the pitch which then was essentially me pitching to him um, basically telling him like everything that our advertising company could do which then ended up us actually getting one of our biggest clients ever because he introduced us to someone that would like kind of benefit from that. So that was kind of a cool side thing. Um, but then he moved to um, Singapore. 
Oh. I was absolutely gutted because we Fine just kind of started this go. this relationship. I was like, that's my mentor. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then he moved. So. so are you looking for another one at the moment? I am, yeah. Applications where, are open. Where are you looking? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you can look for a mentor. Mm-hmm. I think you'll just see someone and be like, you, like you'll find them without mm-hmm. looking for them. I think mm-hmm. if you look for someone, you probably wouldn't find them. Definitely. And I think now as well, there's no blueprint. I know for lots of jobs in the creative industry, there's no blueprint, but there really, really isn't. Like, okay, when SB was going, there wasn't any blueprint for like even a YouTube channel. That sounds mental now. But like now, like a a woman, tech and broadcasting. Yeah, okay, there's some people that do like BBC Click and there's like columnists. There's really like amazing writers that write great columns, but there's not really there's not really anyone that does what I want to do. Mm. So it's really hard. You kind of have to like pick the brains of like a few people here and there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Pip Jameson, when we had her on, who mm. is obviously like, yeah, would be super relevant for you mm. to chat to. She's got several different mentors for different things and she'll just phone different people for the stuff mm. that she needs to know about. Yeah. Um, and uh, I saw a woman speak at this tech conference called uh, COGX. It's like a big AI festival. Um, ages ago actually and I thought she, and I kind of stalked her and then I kind of made her my mentor and then we went for a walk on Hampstead Teeth and she gave me some like little um, homework to do and now I like run stuff past her and she she's really smart like kind of a historian but like a broadcaster um, so yeah I did kind of get a bit of stalking in that way and I've got her and then my friend Gemma Kearney yes. um, who is actually my mate and I think she would find it really weird saying that she's my mentor uh so hopefully she'll still be my friend. <laughs> um, but she has. So when I made the show called The Fox Problem, when I finished um, SBTV, me and my friend Georgie, who was on T4, we really wanted to make a show like on our own terms because I'd been at SB and I had to do everything, like write all the questions, no producer, get an outfit. Like sometimes I'd like go to like a makeup counter, get my face done or whatever, blah blah. And she didn't have any autonomy over what she was doing. So we came up with this concept that was like a kind of like online. It was a party online. It was live broadcast and it was kind of like a conversation that you'd have at a house party that um that was just like fun and interesting. That was like the concept, but it had like um. So we had like JME on there talking to like Richard Branson about space with like Commander Hadfield, um, who's like that spaceman who yeah, yeah. broadcast yeah. life yeah, from um, space. Um, yeah, so we and we really wanted Gemma to do it, but I didn't know her. So, so we just approached her and then she was well into it and she helped us loads. The first series we invested in ourselves, second series we got sponsorship from and she's become a great, great friend to me. Um, and she just really taught me a lot about just someone just a few years older who'd been in the industry for a longer, just about how there's always space for everyone that there needs to be and just being kind and like just someone that's like not uh, like tight with their contacts and stuff because so many people are, especially I don't really do that much like presenting, presenting anymore, but I think it's such an industry of egos and people really feel nervous and they don't know where the next job's coming from. And yeah. especially now it's a lot more about personal brands and stuff, but I suppose in lots of ways it's not. You're waiting to get chosen by like a TV company or whatever to pick you out of someone else. So everyone's always feeling kind of anxious. So um, she taught me a lot about in that respect, I think. It's it's the best way to be, isn't it? Is that like sharing your like sharing things, you will go so much further, I think. Because so much further. People yeah. will remember you and be like, oh, you're a nice person. And, mm-hmm. and like... The, the saying of like nice guys finish last I really don't think it's true it's like if you are just kind to people the the opportunities that will come from that yeah. are huge it's more of like a long game I suppose isn't it it's like the the mean people might do well in the short term but in the long term they're going to succeed over everyone yeah because it's like if you help someone out now it might not be 
10 years until something's reciprocated. And people don't plot it on a long enough timeline. They see the people that are doing the shortcuts. And I get it because we've been there in the early days of our business, seeing people like just doing the wrong thing and being like, but it's working. Should we Mm. do the wrong thing too? And it's really tempting to be like, oh, let's cut this corner or whatever. But in the long run, it just just doesn't serve you. Mm. Yeah, Gem's got me loads of jobs, Um, you know, and even jobs that she's been offered and she's like, oh, I'd rather do it with you. Do you want to split? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so safe. Thank I didn't you. even know that someone like you existed. Like what a don, like yeah. I like completely looked up to you and now you're like breaking bread with me. Like it's amazing. Yeah. I think um, it's like almost a responsibility as well to just be a nice person because if you're nice to someone else, then they're less likely to be that kind of mean, keep everything to themselves person. And it's almost like the sharing idea kind of, spreads mm. and yeah if you help 50 people then hopefully they'll help 50 more people and it will just become everything will just become a bit of a nicer place yeah, mm. yeah i mean we're painting a very rosy picture like do be aware there are people some people are just dicks yeah mm. and you'll meet them in whatever industry whatever whatever niche thing you're doing someone's there and they're a dick <laughs> definitely and i think actually the purpose of work is sometimes to teach you to make stuff with people that you'd never like hang out with mm-hmm. and that's like a really valuable lesson in itself as well it's really important like you're never ever going to get on with everybody and um, but you don't, also don't have to i guess um and also i don't know if you believe you know there's a lot of girls online i actually just pitched a documentary about it they're doing like um like manifesting and stuff have you seen and it's like funny because it's such old school ideas but it's in a very digital world kind of thing um and the ideas behind that i don't know my mum was a buddhist i'm like quite into science i don't really know what i believe but um but it is that idea that if you kind of you know if you hold on to your money for example you'll never get more whereas if you put stuff out in the universe you'll always kind of get stuff back so i think there is something in in that's the one i struggle with so looking at the actual science of manifestation if you are constantly and you do affirmations and whatever and you are constantly working on a problem and you go to bed thinking about that problem like you are more likely to solve it like apparently the science is there that if you are constantly thinking about something not just thinking about the thing, but thinking about the the problem and how you're going to solve the problem yes. to get to it's the a thing. route to get there, isn't yeah. it? Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of the issue comes in, where people just like think, just I, yeah. I want a new car, and they just like keep a thinking. Vision board, I don't think is a is a good idea. Yeah. I've seen things online that are like you can't just look at the end goal of like um, the mansion or the car or whatever. That just doesn't yeah. work. It's like mm-hmm. thinking of that end goal and then having the. Well, how can I get to that vision? Mm-hmm. And working back from there all the way back to the start of where you are now. And that's kind of where it That's comes your in. manifestation. Yeah. And I totally get that. But the one that I can't get my head around is is like by me just spending all my money, I'm gonna get loads of money back. I don't understand that one and I and I, I haven't let go yet. Mm-hmm. like I'm I'm a saver mm. and like I save my money and- oh no same yeah same and I agree I don't think you know like the secret do you remember that yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so yeah you can't and my mum read it and she's amazing but you know she would be like driving her old banger down like Kilwin High Road and be like my hands are on the steering wheel of a Mercedes I'm like mum they're not <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. literally um, and that is ridiculous but I think when you're thinking constantly about how to get somewhere I think it can only be a good thing and also like that kind of visualisation thing like I'm going away next week to work on a project in San Francisco and I do feel quite out of my depth but I just keep imagining it going well and everyone being like well done you smashed that and I think that can only be a good thing you know Um, but yeah I'm not saying like don't save your money I'm saying like maybe say like leave a bit on purpose to be frivolous or like however much you save um, like just give a like just just give a bit more than you might even not feel comfortable with but you know like I think like giving 20% or just I don't know just giving 
just putting stuff out there a bit more yeah. is only a, can only be a good thing. By giving twenty percent, what do you mean in that? As in like giving twenty percent tips on things or? Oh no! Well, there's one more? like school of thought um, that you should like. You know, you what is it like? You save, you pay your bills, and then you save, and then you like, per, and then you budget a bit of money just to give away. I'm not saying that everybody should do that, but I do think it's quite a nice thing in terms of think of feeling safe that you have enough because especially in this world where we all feel like we want more but blah blah's got this and like that person's yeah. got that on Instagram but like I want to go on that holiday and like and I'm you know I'm definitely it's impossible to like live in this capitalist world and not buy anything so mm-hmm. I think I suppose it just makes you feel secure in that way like fe- like feeling sure in yourself that you have enough to give some away I think is quite a good vibe yeah, yeah. there's a tech entrepreneur yeah. who does that who I think he's calculated exactly what he needs to survive on mm-hmm. and so I don't know that's like 30 grand so he keeps that 30 grand and then he earns like hundreds of thousands and he gives all of the rest away to charity and he's like so happy yeah exactly yeah and like since also I learned so much in the corporate environment but um I did just think oh like I don't know I just wanted to do more for people I think it is it's really important people interacting with machines I think they can bring a lot of people delight and stuff I have been like I don't know I felt very lucky and I just wanted to give back more. So I've been like volunteering a lot more this year and just... What do you say to people who are super scared that the machine's taking over and they're going to run the world and we're all mm-hmm. doomed? I think that um, the press loves to scaremonger. I think it is really, really scary what machines can do. But I think it's really exciting. I think really it's going to make our lives a lot simpler. All the boring stuff that we don't like to do, the boring, banal stuff is what... like machines can automate and do for us so actually it's only going to give us more time to be creative Mm -hmm. so i think we should be like ecstatic about it rather than like feeling scared i think also in terms of it is scary and then there does need to be ethical considerations like i went to one panel at this ai festival and it was like should people working in ai take a hippocratic oath kind of like doctors so like promise only to use it for good because there are so many ways that you could um, well i mean facebook is a perfect example of it being corrupted exactly yeah um it's outrageous and loads of people that used to work at facebook now you know i've i've played clips on my show from sean parker you know the guy that justin yeah, yeah, yeah. timberlake played yeah. and he's like we knew what we were doing and we did it anyway like it's wild it's really wild so yeah and but hopefully touch wood like the worst is over and i think with so much um focus on that kind of stuff in the press I hope that people are being more considerate. But I think the reality of robots taking over in terms of, first of all, I wouldn't be in a job if, like, machines could act like humans. Um, we're really, really far away from that. So mm. I think we're cool. I think I think it's more they're just going to be a tool for us to use rather than a threat. Yeah, and I think things will get safer. Like, the first cars didn't have seatbelts. Yeah. And loads of people died. And yeah. there was horrible things that happened. But you learn over time, and now it's like cars are so ridiculously safe because of all these little things. Yeah. And... I think, yeah, tech and AI will just get more like that because it's still relatively new technology. Like, the internet's only been around properly since, like, 96. Oh, God, it's a blink of an eye. In our lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Insane. Is- I read something that was, was talking about how social media now um, will be viewed as cigarettes were in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Because it's like, yeah, like, in terms of addiction. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, everything else that has that level of addiction is illegal or there's mm. some kind of restraint on it. But... We give kids this access to something that's heavily addictive, mm-hmm. and there's no there's no rules and regulations, and no. we were the first ones to like be the victims of of that yeah. really. But I've always had a weird relationship with social media. 
I don't like you know when I was at SB loads of people like you should start a YouTube channel da da and it's like in hindsight and I've struggled I have struggled with that I'm like I should have done that like that was Zoella time do you know what yeah. I mean like but also like I don't know I didn't want to be sitting in my room like talking about like how much makeup to put on for like a like no makeup look do you know what I mean like <laughs> I really like so I suppose and even like online and stuff like I didn't put anything on Instagram like for years and again like I know if I did I'd have loads more followers like I know that and then I probably wouldn't have ended up working myself I probably wouldn't really got really into tech but um yeah I don't know I find it really hard to like translate my real life personality into like an online personality and I know loads of people are really good at it even when I was interviewing pop stars every single day and I was doing really cool stuff I still I I'm sure it's my own issues or whatever but I just I don't know it felt so gross to like take a photo and like tell my friends online it's like I tell yeah. my friends in the pub like I know I'm like a nice person or whatever but to like shout about it it just felt so like oh my god look at me look at me yeah, yeah and so I don't know about you yeah I really I really respect people that smash it um, but I definitely, definitely struggle with that and like find it hard. So it's interesting when you say you think social media will be like cigarettes were. It's like, I wonder what people will be doing. Do you think they just won't be sharing anything? Or like, will there just be something with no likes or? Yeah. I suppose that that kind of comes down to the people who operate it because I think people ever want to stop showing off to the world. Yeah. And like. Because we're driven by status. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, we're now in a society where instead of just showing off to your friendship group, which will have happened previously, it's like, who can be the best in your group? You can show off to your group. You can now show off to the whole world and get feedback from everyone and make yourself feel better than someone else, which makes you feel good. So I don't know if that's going to just go away because yeah. that's just human nature. And I actually like seeing what my friends are up to as well. And I don't always think they're showing off. So I mm. think I've become a bit more calm with it but even selfie now I post selfies all the time but at the time I was like that's so weird why would I like take a picture of my face like yeah, yeah. see I like I don't post selfies anywhere mm. and it will be on holiday and because I'll see like my friends on holiday and they're all like there's a couple selfies and stuff but like I'll just get pictures of my girlfriend within a scene mm. I probably I'm a bit more it's a bit more artistic yeah. but um, it'll never just be like oh Rather I'm just going to get brutes you hang around with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's never just like a, oh here's a snapshot of us yeah. two because I think like like if I did then I've probably, probably got some on my phone but it's not something I'd ever put out to the world because yeah, I'm like so. well that's for me I don't feel like I need to share this with the world mm. now I see it a lot more as work and like I get rinsed by my friends because it's like you know you go away with your friends and you're like will you take a picture of me on my own here please yeah it's yeah, like, yeah. Why? like why but you just have to now I think it's more that feed the beast thing and I kind of get it a bit more but for ages I was like I'd always post stuff delete it I wouldn't post for like months and months and months like I don't know yeah for some people like work is is their social media mm. but you're you're managing to stay gamefully employed by not like revolve it all revolving around your instagram following or anything like that so and i hope that i've like you know the silver lining is like so saving your mental health in the process because i'm sure it's not easy to be a yeah. youtuber we've all seen those articles like i'm sure it's not obviously it sounds nice like put one post up like get loads of money but um again i think that's a complete myth isn't it it's like i think so yeah you, well you've worked at sb like you know how much work went into making each video it's yeah. not just like oh quick let's get a camera go out shoot interview a couple of guys yeah. and then that's done yeah. Yeah, even like interviewing Justin Bieber doesn't equal 
people wanting to give you thousands of pounds. Not at all. It just doesn't. No, I did it for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I did some job for GiftGaff the other day and I interviewed some travel bloggers and they were saying the same. It's like their whole feeds are just full of like holidays and then we like literally we get there and we go and find the Wi-Fi and like we sit in a calf. And I was yeah. like, but I thought you went on holiday all the time. I think that kind of, that side of things will die down because yeah. like Instagram's still relatively new and people see all these like images, but I'm kind of getting to the stage now where I've seen yeah. most of these places and especially like with travel, I, I, like if someone pops up in like Santorini, I just don't care. Mm. Like I've been there and it was like, it was all right, but it wasn't this magical place it looks like on Instagram. And I'm much more interested now in people who are actually going to places that are a bit different and mm. you can actually learn something from it rather than just seeing like another beautiful picture of the same place that a hundred other people have been to. I think now if you have a strategy and you know why you're posting, it's much more effective. Whereas if you're yeah. just like, oh, here I am with my like goddaughter, here I am doing this. And it's just like willy nilly. But if you're like focused and you're using it for work and you've got like a reasoned extra and you're like also doing it in like creative ways, there's loads of amazing shit online. Like yeah. I love like um, wicked photographs and like ama- like learning stuff. So yeah, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's like having a purpose to it. And like, is it entertaining someone? Is it educating them? Is it for it, like inspiring them? Like, is it, is it doing something? If it getting some kind of emotional reaction, if it's just, oh, here's a couple of seconds in front of their eyes, just wasting their time. It's a bit like, I, I feel like you're almost stealing someone else's time if you put up something that isn't doing any of those things. Because people's lives are just getting wasted on the scroll, watching content and seeing content that isn't oh, actually bringing anything. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true though. Yeah. Yeah. What would your advice be to anyone who's thinking about getting into tech? Mm -hmm. Because obviously you're not an engineer Mm -hmm. and you don't have to be an engineer Mm -hmm. to do something cool. Mm -hmm. Um, My advice would be, I guess tech is so broad. Like a company like the Microsofts and the Googles of the world, um, they are tech companies, but they're also not. Like they're kind of, again, involved in like every aspect of your yeah. life. Like you could be a sick event planner and like work in tech, really. Like, um, so I suppose it's just about um, trying stuff out. Like I absolutely ended up there by accident. I have done loads of work experience. Even when I was at SB, I got fired from loads of internships that I was trying to do while I was at uni. So I think just like try and do as much as possible, really. Um, like stalk people on Twitter and like try and work for them, I guess. But it, it's like it piques your interest because I th- and I think that's why you're doing what you're doing now because it's kept you going because if if it was interviewing celebrities that like really like rocked your boat mm. you'd still be interviewing celebrities but this thing just happened across your path and you're like oh this is quite interesting this is something different and you had the courage to actually go down that path and the further you went down you were like yeah I'm going to keep going down it I think yeah. I think also what I loved doing was talking to people and like finding out their stories. And I actually feel a bit uncomfortable with you guys asking me because I'm like, oh, I don't know what's coming next. Like, And I think actually you can do that in any sphere. Like, yeah, it's amazing talking to celebrities and they are people who have had an amazing life. But um, also catching like a pop star on promo, you know, you can do that so many times. And like, I have so much respect for people that do that. And it's not like I didn't enjoy that. But I suppose um, I just ended up kind of combining the two after I completely fell into it by accident. So, um, yeah. And I think that's why you're so good at designing personalities for things is because you've had so many conversations over the years. It's mm -hmm. like everything was training you to get 
to where you got but it's just like if you went back and spoke to your like 18 year old self and said you're you're going to end up designing personalities you'd be like what the fuck yeah I'd be like what yeah and you don't even realize how much you know about conversations by having them as well so I think I think maybe just don't be surprised what skills you'll pick up along the way doing something completely random and Mm. where it will lead um so yeah now engineers look at me as the last word in like in a conversation and I'm like oh well I guess this is probably fine like this seems quite friendly and nice like that'll probably work so um yeah it's definitely a strange one and that's the last word in our conversation (laughs) (laughs) um where can people find you online and where can they find the uh the documentary that you've just find the documentary on bbc sounds it's called make me a program um and you can find me online georgiala.com i'm on instagram georgia underscore la thank you so much thanks for listening we're trying to help a lot of people with this show so we need your help to grow the community and spread our message if you know someone who'd benefit from hearing what we talked about today or they just need a little nudge in the right direction pass this podcast on to them if you want to hear more then subscribe to us on itunes and if we helped you with anything we'll really love you forever if you can leave us an itunes review it makes a huge difference see ya see ya